to all our fintech listeners, welcome to the episode. Today, I have the opportunity to talk with Cedric Brew, who will be introducing himself in a moment. We will be talking about all things fintech and what makes it so powerful, and how small businesses, especially in 2020, can not only survive, but actually thrive. Cedric, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Um, So if you could introduce yourself to let our fintech listeners know more about what you do. First, thank you, Charlotte, for having me today on on the podcast. It's a uh, pleasure. My name is Cedric Brew. I am the proud CEO of Talia. I'm a French man living in the US, uh, working from home right now. So if you're listening to this podcast from an office, I am very jealous of you because I really miss the time in an office. Uh, but more seriously, I hope that everyone is healthy uh, listening to this, this uh, podcast. And uh, it will be a pleasure to, uh, to speak today about uh, fintech and, and trends. At Talia, we are a fintech with a focus on working capital management. Our goal is to ensure that liquidity flows freely between businesses so that businesses that need cash the most can get access easily to this cash in order to thrive and uh, contribute to the economy. Now, Cedric, this is something that every listener that tunes into this episode, whether they are fintech experts like yourself, or I suppose beginners that are actually here to find out more about the industry. Can you explain what the term fintech means? Sure, it will be a pleasure to do that. Fintech companies ultimately deliver a financial services value proposition by leveraging technology. And uh, typically, this value proposition either complements and sometimes replaces what traditional financial institutions have done in the past. So it's really, again, delivering something around financial services. It can be around banking, payments, lending, wealth management, insurance by using technology to scale and address as many constituents as possible. Mm -hmm. What does fintech bring to a business? What makes it so powerful? So what makes it very powerful is really what the tech can bring to a given value proposition. And typically, tech is used to bring four different characteristics. Uh, The first one is availability of services. In in many cases, traditional financial institutions have been limited to make their services or solutions available to a broad number of people or businesses just because of the lack of automation. So a lot of the services were made available to a limited number of entities, entities being consumers or, or businesses, and technology makes it possible to offer a similar service to a larger number of entities. So availability of services is number one. The second one is scalability, is to be able to use technology to scale transactions, to scale the coverage around the world, um, something that manual work or processes are not allowing uh, more traditional companies to to do. In this world, uh, the third vector is Security. Security is very important. By bringing a top-notch security program, those companies are able to offer those solutions in a very secure fashion that consumer and businesses now are are very much looking forward to. And then the last one is value. With, With technology, by bringing availability, scalability, security, 
uh, the solution can become much more valuable to the ultimate uh, customer. And the value can come from um, higher benefits or same benefits at a lower cost. But in either case, the value is uh, higher than we used to be with more traditional solutions. Would you say it's very significant the importance a company has in fintech in regards to their value and the value that needs to be maintained for a B2C um, relationship to succeed? Yeah, absolutely. If I look at uh, the example of uh, my company, Talia, uh, if you compare the value that traditional solutions bring to clients versus what we are bringing, the value is estimated to be 100 times higher uh, with our solution in comparison to what traditional solutions have been delivering. So it's uh, it's really night and day here. So if we could move on to talk about how small businesses and the digitalization behind it, we are fully aware of the impact COVID is having on the majority of businesses at the moment. A lot of it is negative, but we are witnessing some companies trying to rebuild themselves, be that from the beginning of the pandemic or now several months down the line. Can you comment on the direct impact COVID is having on small fintech companies? It is significant. <laughs> I'll start with that. Uh, I would say that <laughs> yeah. not all small businesses are treated equal, first of all. So my, my comments cannot really be uh, that generic, but the impacts are very significant. And we are seeing that every business in the world, especially small businesses, are really thinking really hard how to transform themselves and, and be different tomorrow, potentially to handle the current situation. Uh, but before uh, me going into the impact, I, I need to talk about why this topic about small businesses is that important. Uh, and I think we'll shed some light here to the importance mm-hmm. of the topic. Um, first of all, if you, if you think about the overall employment landscape, uh, small businesses employ about 50% of workers across uh, across economies in the US as well as in Western Europe. So it is top critical to ensure that the small businesses stay healthy. And as such, our governments are, have worked really, really hard to make sure that those small businesses can access liquidity and cash and government programs to stay uh, alive. And the reason is because again, they employ about half of the, the workers in, in those economies. Uh, so that's, that's one very important aspect. The second one is that the financial health of small businesses tend to be very fragile. Um, there is a, a survey that was conducted by one large bank uh, a few months ago. What this survey was really saying is that on average, a small business will have a cash buffer reserve of 27 days, which means that if you cut the income completely for a small business because they need to um, renovate their their building, if the owner cannot work for a period of time because of an injury or, or because COVID is preventing the store to open, whatever it is, but if you cut the income to that small business, the small business has only 27 days in reserve of cash to be able to pay their fixed cost and stay in operations. 27 days is obviously very, very short. 
As such, I describe the financial health of small businesses as, as fragile. And very obviously, COVID-19 has led several countries to uh, shelter in place that has prevented a lot of those small businesses to operate, to, to sell their products, to offer their services. And governments have stepped in, I would say, very big time, probably in a much larger magnitude than in the past, to ensure that those small businesses had access to the cash to, to survive. And many countries in the world are discussing right now potentially a second round or a third round sometimes of uh, a stimulus package to help those, those small businesses. Uh, but overall, small businesses have been hit very hard. Um, in the US, for example, there is a stat that is circulating that about a third of restaurants will not open again, um, which is pretty dramatic. And I think this is correct for many other industries um, and many other countries, as a matter of fact. At the same time, it has given an opportunity for uh, many of them as well to flourish. Some of them have found some creative ways to pivot their business model, deliver their, their goods and services in a different way, or innovate to be able to uh, meet the new needs of, uh, of customers. I mean, you and I are working from home right now. We have new needs, and some of those needs are met or mm -hmm. can be met by uh, products and solutions from small businesses. So opportunity for, for, for them as well. Uh, but right now, since we are still in the middle of the uh, pandemic, more small businesses have been affected negatively than positively. And that is something that is very important to watch because again, small businesses are really at the core of our economies. Like you've just mentioned, do you have examples like the government or some sort of financial aid happening to support certain small businesses? We are seeing it in the UK, particular areas in hospitality being affected from COVID. Of course, it's challenging working from home, but we're observing small businesses suffer. How do you think large businesses can support small fintech suppliers? So there are multiple ways for large businesses to support uh, the small ones. And clearly, we are saying that every day right now. There are programs around uh, social responsibility or a more uh, resilient supply chain. The fact is that large enterprises understand completely that their future is tied to the health of their supply chain. They need to make sure that their suppliers, large ones, small ones, critical ones, less critical ones are healthy and can continue to deliver uh, through their, their supply chain. So there are a lot of initiatives to understand the financial health of suppliers, including the small suppliers. And there are some distinct initiatives that large enterprises can deploy to help their uh, counterparties. Uh, one of them uh, is to be able to pay those suppliers as early as possible. If you look at the entire economy, this is a number that you may found astonishingly high, is that they are at any point of time, $20 trillion of invoices that are approved that are waiting to be paid. So let, let me try again, because this is a number that requires a second to fully comprehend here, is that businesses do business together. Uh, and when the goods are delivered or the services are rendered, the supplier will invoice their, their customer 
the customer will approve this invoice and then they will wait 30, 45, 60 days, for example, before paying their suppliers. And again, on a, on a, on a global basis, at this very precise moment, about $20 trillion are waiting to be paid. So the question is, what if we could accelerate the payment of those invoices? What if we could make this $20 trillion that is locked in supply chains go down to 10, to 5, to 2? That means that the balance will be made available to the entities that need this cash the most. And I believe that this is the number one lever that exists to make small suppliers in particular healthy. This amount of money we are talking about here is actually larger than stimulus packages that collective governments are talking about. So that has potentially the, the, the impact to make a, create a relief to supply chains and small businesses much larger than stimulus packages geared towards businesses. And, and I think this is something that governments uh, have to be educated about. Uh, this is a, a very important lever for economic health. And we are totally are advocating for such solutions to help uh, businesses and economies. I mean, that, that's a, a lot of information, you know, especially with how um, small businesses and, you know, how they're actually going to have to try and cope and manage with everything going on at the moment. Could you perhaps explain, you know, in a few words, you know, how small businesses not only can survive in this situation, but how they can thrive as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think the difference here we're trying to say between survive and thrive is, is survive mm. is at a point of time. It's okay, COVID-19 is hitting my business. What do I need to do to ensure that my store, my business will operate in, in a week or, or, or in a month? And for that, people are typically looking for a point solution to get them out of a very unexpected situation. Uh, to thrive is really a, a longer term view, is to be able to understand that a business will have enough financial strength to be able to not only survive, but also to have an opportunity to invest in their business, to have an opportunity to potentially change their business model and uh, cope with the new constraints uh, that we are all facing, but also to take advantage of opportunities. And to do that, it really requires a sustainable access to liquidity, a sustainable access to, to cash in an easy fashion and also in an affordable fashion. Because as you can imagine, when there is a challenge, people sometimes are trying to take advantage of it. And so, so some small businesses are being pitched some solutions right now that give them access to cash at extremely expensive terms. And that is very unfortunate. So when I talk about solutions here and what can help businesses thrive, I'm really talking about sustainable solutions that are available now and in the future, that are easy to use and in a very cost-effective uh, fashion. In what I'm describing earlier, uh, to be able to make payments go faster to suppliers. So suppliers can accelerate the payment on the services that have already rendered, on the goods they have already delivered, they can do that not only once or twice, but they can do that on an ongoing basis in order to 
go through this challenging moment again, but also invest in the future. And, and there are a lot of solutions about that. You were talking about uh, fintech at the beginning. This is the theme of the podcast here. Last year alone, uh, $40 billion of capital from venture capitalists and private equity firms went into fintechs. And this is really helping uh, fintechs to find solutions to help small businesses in particular and others as well, of course, and consumers to really go from a, a manual point solution, very inefficient solution to something that is scalable, something that is available to the masses and something that scale, as I explained earlier. So really a lot of, a lot of innovation is going into those topics. A lot of smart people are working on them and small businesses can, can take advantage of them. Uh, if I take one example uh, about Talia, last quarter alone, um, we provided about $9 billion of cash to businesses around the world. And that was done in a very efficient fashion. The cost is extremely affordable. Many small businesses uh, were able to take advantage of that. And I remember that a couple of CEOs of small businesses joined our all-employee meeting. We have an all-employee meeting every other week uh, at Talia. And the messages that those CEOs shared with us was something along the line of, thank you, Talia. Thank you for making your solution available to us um, because without it, we would not exist today. And Thank you. <laughs> that, that was basically their message. And, but they were also very excited about the future because now that they check the box on survive, they are really working with their customer on new projects, on new products, and they have a vision for the future. And we are very, very proud to be able to contribute to those dynamics. It's lovely to think that, you know, you do get a kind of big thank you for, you know, how much you are contributing to this. Um, you mentioned before um, the different technology solutions. I just wanted to kind of follow on that path from what we just talked about a minute ago. Um, are there any other technology solutions that are available now or any, any others that you want to talk about in more depth? Well, there, there are a couple. And uh, one that I will start with is along the line of digital transformations. Uh, I think every business mm -hmm. has tried to remove paper documents from their business, but it's expensive to do that, or it was perceived to be expensive at least. Uh, it never really made the top priority of firms. And as such, a lot of progress has been made, but not enough. And I think that when COVID-19 hit and people needed to work from home in, in most companies, I think that really made companies realize that there is a need to accelerate the digital journey that they had started and get it to, to conclusion. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example about that uh, that will be also very interesting is uh, in the B2B world, when business a business does business with a, another one, the amount of invoices that are exchanged in a paper format is about 5 billion pieces of paper, 500 wow. <laughs> billion pieces of paper. That's about, by the way, 60 million trees that are required to produce this paper. When COVID-19 hit, a lot of this paper was sent to companies, but no one was there to really open the mail, if you want, process the invoices and make payments. And on the other side, suppliers were waiting for payments. They needed payments to be able to go and survive again. Mm. And, and that has been a, a big wake-up call for many companies 
around the world. Uh, the idea here is to use technology, to use a fintech solution that can be enabled by RPA, that can be enabled by artificial intelligence. But at the end of the day, the goal is to eradicate paper from business processes. And that's a key trend here that we are going to see. Uh, we are seeing now already, and that's going to accelerate. Uh, in addition to that, I think people have a little bit of reluctance to touch paper now uh, because they feel that it could be a conduit from the virus. And even if doctors said that it's probably not the case because the virus does not survive on paper, a lot of uh, the, the people we work with are saying, well, but what if there is another virus? And what if this virus survives on a piece of paper? The fact is that we want to be isolated as much as possible from the outside world. Again, technology can help and it will be a good thing anyway to electronify all those transactions. We've seen or we, we've definitely witnessed, you know, in the UK how uh, anxious people can get nowadays. You know, if it is, does come to, you know, a simple uh, bank statement that you get in the post, you have that kind of, I suppose, that built up anxiety now of you don't necessarily want to touch the paper, even though it's not going to have anything um, that's going to create any risk or any danger. But turning it into more of a digital transformation or it's a digital journey that people are now having that it is online it is making things easier without them realizing you know it's kind of having that transition which is sort of creating it as a positive in such a difficult time at the moment I just wanted to jump back onto the um, talking about fintech and, you know, what it is in general. We've talked about the digital transformation um, and the digitalization and how it can be for certain fintech businesses. But can I ask, what does fintech bring to businesses? You know, what exactly makes it so powerful um, and so significant? Yeah, I, I think that uh, what it brings is really taking existing solutions to the next level. Uh, that that has been a key driver for, for fintechs. Or or to create a brand new way to deliver a, a service. Uh, if you look at uh, Robinhood, for example, they have completely changed the landscape of investment uh, platforms by making the solution extremely easy to use, by making the solution free of fees. Not only they've been able to acquire a tremendous amount of customers, but they really forced the incumbents, TD Ameritrade, Schwab to really rethink their business model. And it really goes back to what we were talking at the beginning of the podcast is that it's it's value. It's being able to add so much incremental value to customers that it becomes a no-brainer for this customer to make a switch. Because at the end of the day, customers are always reluctant to change, right? Even as a consumer, you and I, or a business, change is expensive. Change requires an effort. But what fintechs are able to do is to add so much more value than incumbent solutions that this change becomes a no-brainer. And again, the value can be either by um, multiplying the benefits by a large multiple or delivering similar value at a very as a very small fraction of the cost. And that ultimately is the driver for people to move from traditional solutions to a fintech. You and I as consumers, businesses in general, we are having that constant change where we're adapting and we are sort of going through the journey of the fintech world, you know, whether it's slowly changing to the different dynamics, how everything's working. But what would you say, whether it's for, you know, in general, whether it's for any of our listeners to be aware of, but um, what would you say uh, the five fintech trends that 
people need to know about or they need to be aware of? There are a few trends that have been uh, going on for, for a couple of years now. And I think that there are underlying forces that will continue for a while. I will describe them more as infrastructure trends, but AI is really at the core mm -hmm. of fintech trends. Uh, RPA is also a key blockchain. I think there is a term now of ultra personalization so that we know so much about your needs that the solution can really be customized to you and you only and your experience become very different from mine for example because my needs might be slightly different so ultra personalization is uh, is really a key trend and this is really enabled with data and and ai so so those i think are going to continue here for the the future i think what's interesting is to reflect on what's going to change because of covid-19 and what may not change because of COVID-19. Clearly, businesses and consumers are, their, their needs have changed, really. They, they, the way they pay, for example, definitely changing. Uh, people spend much less time uh, at, the, at the POS to make payments. People want to use their phone. People want to make payments via computers. Uh, E-commerce is obviously uh, booming. Touchless payments is also key. No one wants to go and, and touch a POS anymore or insert a card and uh, withdraw the card. So I, I think that overall payments is going to accelerate even further, even though the payment trend has been going on for, for, for quite some time. I think that the other one that people are very concerned about is cash and cash management. Obviously, people, a lot of people have lost their job or they have had to tap on their, on their savings. Uh, we know that in many economies like the US, uh, people are extremely highly leveraged and a lot of people actually don't know where they stand. They don't know how much money they, they really have. I mean, they know, but they don't know, you know how, how much they can really survive with that. Budget, budgeting can be difficult to do because they are not able to gather the information from the different payments, how they pay their rent, how they pay their groceries. I believe that a key trend will be to assist those individuals and businesses as well to do a better job at understanding their financials and take actions to create safety nets uh, from a financial perspective. That, 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 that to me will be a, a key aspect here and trend for the coming years. We talked about um, electronification or digital uh, journey. I think it's true for businesses and it's also true for consumers. You, you mentioned your potential reluctance to open the mail uh, at home and uh, some people still receive bills in the mail. Some people, maybe not in the UK, but in the US, people cut a lot of checks. All those processes are very cumbersome. It's prone for errors. People will pay twice. People forget to pay. It's hard to track. There are multiple websites to log on, multiple banks and credit cards it doesn't make it easy as well. And I think the in order to provide a, a full financial experience to consumers or businesses, the data, the underlying data is required and we need to live in a fully digital world. And clearly we do not live, at least in some countries, in a full digital world. So I believe that that will be another trend here for, for fintechs. Do you think, Cedric, at any point moving forward, there might be, let's say, a cashless society, not just with COVID, but the way people are adapting with their digital journey. Absolutely. I was reading actually earlier today an initiative of Amazon that will allow mm. customers to pay in their Amazon Go 
wear their hands, for example. So when you are done shopping, instead of inserting a card, instead of using your phone, there will be kind of a device. You can put your hand on top of the device without touching, of course, and they use your fingerprints or your biometrics uh, characteristics to understand that this is you and they can link your profile to a credit card uh, in in uh, in the computer if you want in on, on file and make the payments mm. automatically so this is very appealing for for customers because again they don't have to touch their wallet they don't have to touch a device it's completely frictionless it's easy it's very very fast but like everything, change brings challenges. And the key challenge is, should people allow a company like Amazon to store biometric information? Are you, and I will ask you the question, actually, you can tell me real mm. time here. Are you willing to let Amazon store your fingerprint information? See, for me, already, that sounds like very sort of surreal um, AI happening because it's such a big franchise, big company, I don't know if I would feel comfortable knowing that I could just use my hand, you know, have my fingerprint on a file. That's, I don't know, that's obviously something that would be new and exciting. But looking back, I don't know how I'd feel if I was, you know, able to use it quite easily. You know, that's the thing. If it's to use something in a very easy fashion, of course, it has loads of benefits to it, makes it a lot more uh, of a quicker process, but you don't necessarily have to use any security behind it. You know, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I would, I would be happy doing that. <laughs> yeah, so it's coming. So be ready. You can think about that. You have time. And, <laughs> and I think a lot of that goes with the trust we have with those entities. For example, I have shared my information with an entity in the US to be able to at the airport instead of going through security i can put my my fingers uh, my profile is automatically detected it's called uh, nexus or global entry and then you can mm -hmm. go through it but you know that this information is stored by a very reputable company that is portraying trust and security and 10 years ago no one wanted to do that now everybody's doing that i i think that for shopping the same May, may happen. I think Amazon will do a good job to explain that the information is stored very securely. They'll talk about encryption. They will make more and more people comfortable and people are going to likely move in that direction. At the end of the day, so much can change when there is a, a strong need. Same for healthcare. Uh, a lot of uh, hospitals could not really in the past exchange information via text message or via email uh, to protect the confidentiality of customers and to ensure the information wouldn't be lost. Well, again, during COVID-19, it's uh, more challenging to communicate with doctors. Doctors don't want you to come to the office as much as possible. So they started to do text messages and, and emails and share confidential information via those, those uh, uh, media medium. So I think it's very situational and uh, innovation comes sometimes mm. from very specific situation that we didn't think would exist, but they come, people adjust. And then a few years later, they come back and say, well, I'm glad that we were a little bit pushed to make those changes because life is much better now. And uh, that's sometimes the, uh, the journey that innovation has to go through. Yeah, I think, you know, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I'm going to throw a spanner into the works now just to kind of go off the ball for a second. Let's say, you know, with what we were talking about, you know, having your 
thumbprint or a scan happening, you know, whether it was for something which was uh, medical orientated, you know, obviously that's something which is pushing it out of the comfort zone to make it easier for the patient, you know, to retrieve information or have interaction with their doctor, especially during um, current times. But I was just wondering, you know, if you did have, like you said, the example of Amazon, do you think maybe it kind of challenges the consumer to rely on either these big corporations compared to smaller businesses? you know is there something where you have to have a sort of profile in place that if it's a successful company such as Amazon and you know you tumble across this idea of you know them scanning um, with all your data and all your information do you think maybe some people might be more inclined if it is a trustworthy organization compared to startup companies or smaller newer businesses yeah um, what is required here is trust and on one hand it's absolutely correct that a lot of people will tend to trust larger entities. At the same time, I think that many people do not trust large entities because of monopoly or because of, you know, a little bit of cynicism uh, about mm. what's going on. So I, I can really see both ways. I believe more into ecosystems. And, and I think that in those situations here, that innovation can absolutely come from a smaller entity, like a startup, a small fintech, as long as this fintech is partnering with the right people. You know, if, if the fintech is able to demonstrate that the data is hosted into a very reputable or the best data center ever, and they are using the best encryption mechanism, and they are backed by some of the reputable financial institutions, like a very large bank or a very large retailer, I think it's completely possible to gain, gain the credibility of, of consumers. Here is an example here uh, on, on payments. You and I have been carrying a Visa or MasterCard for a very long time. And those uh, cards were processed really by acquirers and different merchant systems on the other side that were also based on, on large companies. Then Stripe came in into play and Strive has been able to acquire quite a lot of credibility over the years to process those payments. At the end of the day, they don't provide all the value in the value chain. You can still use your, your card to pay Via, via via the Stripe uh, uh, you know e ecosystem or framework, but they are really differentiating themselves for a piece of the the ecosystem. And I think this is what SaaS uh, technology is able to bring here: is that all those solutions can run in the cloud and they can interconnect together. Not one solution needs to take care of everything. In your example here about biometric payments, for example, if one small company had to create everything, the data storage, the encryption, the terminal, the, the, the communication, the branding, I think it will be very difficult because they wouldn't be best in class at everything. But I do believe that a startup can be best in class at one piece of that solution, really on it, rely on others, uh, whether it is a data center, a card payment rails, the physical hardware to do that, and ultimately offer an end-to-end -end solution that is really compelling and trustworthy for consumers. So Cedric, um, just to backtrack for a second, obviously you mentioned ecosystems, so the financial ecosystems, um, you know, the company can have. Could you just 
um, maybe describe in a few words to some of our listeners, you know, what exactly um, an ecosystem is? An ecosystem will be to deliver a, a, a solution or a value proposition. So let me take the example of, of Talia, for example. So again, what we do is that we will allow a business to request to be paid earlier on their approved invoices with their customers. So instead of waiting for 60 days to receive their money, they're able to request an early payment and we facilitate this early payment in a very easy and uh, cost-effective fashion. To deliver on that value proposition that is very simple for, for, for customers, there is a lot of logic in the back end. We need to, number one, know that the invoices are legitimate. Then we need to have uh, a way to make sure that all the information that we process is encrypted. Then we need to make sure that that supplier, that business has access to a very good user interface to make their, their decision. If they want to be paid early, we need to source the liquidity. Once the liquidity is sourced, we need to make the payments. And once the payment is done, we need to show the data to the business so that they know what has happened and they can reconcile the information. So to achieve all of this here, we need to work with a data center where we store the data. We need to work with encryption technology. We need to work with banks or financial institutions that will make the liquidity available. We need to work with payment companies to ensure that the payment is done and the cash is in the bank account of suppliers. And then we need to ensure that the, the user interface is meeting the standard of each country, all regulations that exist in the world. Talia does not deliver everything here. We are not a bank, for example, right? So we, we are not lending the money ourselves. So what we'll do is that we will connect with financial institutions to make that happen. That means that those financial institutions are joining our ecosystem, okay? To make the payment, to move the money from the UK to Australia, we need to work with a, a payment company. We do not move the money ourselves. We will work with a payment company to do that they join our ecosystem. So when I refer to ecosystem is finding the right partners, third-party providers, and deliver a solution as an ecosystem so that the bank can do what they are the best at, which is really lending. The payment company can really do what they are the best at, which is moving money from point A to point B. But Talia holistically is able to bring all those pieces together from the ecosystem and deliver an end-to-end -end solution that is very secure, that is very reliable, very global, very everything. Cedric, I think I could probably spend a lot longer talking, um, but unfortunately we are running out of time. So to wrap this conversation up, one final question for you. Of course, if there is anything else you want to add, then feel free to do so. What do you think the world of fintech will look like in 2021? So in 2021, a lot of investments are going to go in, into fintech. There is no doubt about this. If you look at the increase in investment in fintech, it went from a uh, billion dollars around 10 years ago to 30, 40 billion dollars last year. So clearly there is a lot of innovation that is going into fintech. Uh, venture capitalists have understood that and they are really redirecting a lot of their capacity towards fintech because financial services have not benefited from a lot of innovation for the past 50 years or so. So the, the, the area is completely prone for innovation and, uh, and, and disruption. I do believe that 
in 2021, we are going to see a first uh, effort to continue what has been happening for the past few years, because designing new payment methods, designing new financial rails takes uh, a lot of time. So I think that will continue. And we are going to see trends affiliated or related to, to COVID-19. And again, people being maybe less mobile for a while. People wanted to work from home. People wanted to buy from computers. So a, a significant increase in e-commerce that started already, but I, I think that's going to increase even more. People wanted to, to be safe. People wanted to take care of their money probably a little bit better than in the past. Let's not forget that we are getting out here of a unprecedented long bull market, you know, where everything was fine for, for most people uh, from a financial perspective, at the very least in developed economies. Well, that's the first time that a lot of people are hitting challenges and I think they will want to manage their money quite a lot. But the trend that I'm the most excited about is the one around equality. And here it's equality on, on consumers and equality on, on businesses. Clearly, the wealth gap has significantly increased between people. This is true around the world, but this is also true in a given economy or, or, or even in a given community. And clearly, this is something that politicians are on. Something has to be done to assist mm. people who are in need. And, and, and I believe that we need to provide the right solutions, the right tools to raise awareness about financial health to consumers, especially the people who don't have enough savings to really survive uh, challenges uh, like that. And there is also an effort around equality on businesses where not everyone is created equal. If you think about a very big company working with large suppliers and small suppliers, mm -hmm. well, of course, the large suppliers are, tend to be considered as more critical. Uh, they need more attention. Maybe they need more favorable terms. I believe that small businesses deserve favorable terms as well. They need to be treated more equally because they are not only important for the supply chain of their customer, but they're also important for economies around them, communities around them. And if they fail, they will make other businesses fail. It's kind of a ripple effect. Uh, on the opposite is that if we can make that small business extremely healthy, they will hire people. Those people will spend more money. They will contribute their community. It will create other businesses. The bigger community will benefit from that. The local economy will benefit from that. And when local economies flourish, typically it's the bigger economy that benefit from that as well. And, and I do believe that treating businesses equally is a huge opportunity for all of us. And I am personally very committed to that going forward. I think that that's a very positive um, note for us to end on today. There's a lot of information we've talked about today, Cedric. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to mention before the end of this podcast? I just want to uh, tell you and the uh, listeners, be healthy, be well. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to connecting again. Thank you so much for your time, Cedric. I really appreciate it. Um, and I think our listeners will be very excited for this one. So thank you. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.